Happy New Year! It's 2022, a year that sounds like something only imagined in a sci-fi movie from the 80s. Welcome back to the Hiker Podcast. I'm your host, Owen Hamilton. So how are the New Year's resolutions going? I normally hate doing them, I I always fail, but I was always being too specific. I always set out uh, a fitness goal or say I'm going to take up a new hobby, but this year I'm just going to do more of the things that make me happy. Uh, It's simple, but I think it's far easier and more rewarding than taking up crochet, I guess. Do people do that? Um, And of course, one of those things is hiking. In fact, I was actually out hiking in the mountains this morning. Uh, I drove out early and hiked to the top of a very windy and snow-capped Jouse Mountain, uh, which is along the Wicklow Way, if you didn't know. It was absolutely amazing, and it reminded me of how important hiking is to me. After a month of not hiking, it injected a huge boost of energy. It literally is the best medicine. With that in mind... Have you made your 2022 hiking plans? Uh, Where are you going to hike this year? We're adding more trails every day for you to choose from and there couldn't be a better time to step up your hiking game than now. Upgrade to Hiker Pro now and get up to 25% off. You'll have full access to over 5,000 trails around the world and all of the amazing Hiker Pro features. One of which is really handy is downloading trails offline. So if you're out on the trail and you want to save battery or you're nowhere near phone signal, um, you can just download the trail offline and not have to worry about that. So just head over to the website, hiker.com, or check out on the app this week to avail of the new year sale. Now, speaking of not having any phone signal, uh, my guest this week knows a thing or two about this. And where he didn't have the phone signal will give you a bit of a cold sweat. Chris Howard, otherwise known as Chris the Coast Walker, is a guy that loves pushing himself to new limits. He has completed some amazing endurance efforts and his current walk is not just a challenge for the body and mind, but for the spirit. I catch up with Chris as he is about to turn the corner on his circumnavigation of the UK, starting and ending in Norfolk on the east coast of the UK. This is a challenge that he took to raise funds for children in need. And so far, he's actually raised over £30,000, which is absolutely amazing. So lace up your boots and let's hear my chat with Chris, the Coast Walker, Howard. Thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your, uh, your amazing trip to, uh, to come on to the Hiker podcast and, and, and have a chat. No worries. Thank you for having me. So do you want to uh, start off by, I suppose, introducing yourself, um, who you are, where you're from? Yeah, uh, I'm Chris Howard. Uh, British adventurer is generally what people call me, but um, I suppose I'm best known at the moment as Chris the Coast Walker. Uh, so at the end of the first lockdown, when the restrictions were lifted, I set off to walk 11,000 miles or just over 11,000 miles for the British mainland coast. Uh, I headed south from Norfolk and I've made it about 8,500 miles to northwest Scotland today. I've just made it past Cape Wrath now. Uh, so I'm doing that, and alongside that, you can either leave this bit in or cut it out, depending on <laughs> where your podcast lies with the situation. But um, so alongside that, I'm raising money for children in need, which incidentally is today. Then um, I've raised just over twenty-eight thousand pounds as of today. Amazing! That is absolutely fantastic. Well, congratulations! Thank you. Has to be said. So, is, is the, the, uh, am I correct in saying that you're kind of you're over the halfway point now in terms of the distance that you're doing? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm as I say, I got to Cape Wrath, and I'm pretty stoked just to get past Cape Wrath because it's that. If you look at it and the map, and you you see where Cape Wrath is, I kind of turn the corner and head right now, and that means I'm going towards Dunnet Head, the most northern tip. Once I'm there. For the first time in 340 odd days, I'm actually heading home for the first time. And that's, that's, that feels pretty good, you know? 
Wow. It's it's an amazing feat. And I can only imagine the logistics to it are quite difficult. Yeah, you know, I know that there's a lot of like coastal paths, like obviously you've got the, the English coastal paths, you've got the Southwest Coast Path, the Wales Coast Path as well. Um, but not everywhere there's a there's a path that kind of sticks as close to the coast. That's right. Well, Wales is the only one of the three actually that has a fully dedicated coast path the whole way around Wales, and that includes Anglesey as well, which I walked. Um, Scotland has bits of paths here and there, and then it has things called core paths, which are noted differently on maps and generally not on OS maps. Mm. Um, it has old postal tracks and deer tracks. There are no dedicated coastal paths except on the east coast where there's the Moray Firth coastal path. Um, I don't know how long that lasts, but generally in Scotland, you are just, you're improvising and going over rough terrain, scrambling over rocks, climbing mountains, narrowly avoiding falling off cliffs and bashing heather basically. So, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's kind of nice to think, wow, I've just walked somewhere no one else has ever walked, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it's one of the kind of the the introspective kind of or philosophical things that people always love about hiking that 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 feeling of being somewhere where possibly no one has ever been before and in your case most likely some people have probably never been there before Mm. Mm. yeah i mean i quite often come across sort of ruins from the 16th century or something and it's like how is this even here covered in moss and almost completely caved in by the ground but um you you do find stuff it's just that nobody goes there anymore and i have to say in this part of the world there's pretty good reason for that um Mm. the weather is so hostile it's like it's like nothing i've experienced anywhere in england or or wales so what what drove you to, to walk the coast what where did this come in your in your hiking career (laughs) Uh, well um, it's not something I always wanted to do that's what people ask me generally is it something you always want to do I had no idea what I was going to do I wanted to do another big challenge I wanted to do something endurance based which is what I'm used to um, and I wanted to do something for charity and specifically for children Um, and I wanted to do that that, that kind of lockdown period gave everybody a lot of time to think about what they were doing currently and what they could be doing. I was fortunate enough to have the time on my hands to think about stuff and <clears throat> plan to do something. So I said to my wife, I, I couldn't go abroad to do anything for obvious reasons. Um, and I didn't want to just run another marathon or do, you know, Land's End to John O'Groats, for example. I felt like that rush of completing that over two or three weeks would probably be not quite what I was looking for mentally and physically so um, I said to my wife look I think I could go for a bit of a walk around the coast and she said which bit and I said well all of it and uh, she immediately sort of sat up and said yeah how far is it how long is it going to take what do we do how do we plan it when do you, when do you go in not like she wanted to get rid of me because of lockdown <laughs> <laughs> but um, my wife is incredibly supportive and always has been but I mean she <laughs> She was just on board straight away. She knew it was a challenge that I needed, but also something that would gain traction and get a lot of attention. So, mm. well, that's that's a that's a kind of a, a, a that's a killer partnership right there. Where like you, she knows that that's what you need, that's what you want to do. So it's just about making that happen. Uh, it, it, once you have mm-hmm. it in your head, you're, you're just like, nah, it, it's it's happening. Uh, so she's kind of on board and she and she knows that she needs to kind of drive that with you and she needs to support you with that so that that's 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 a special thing um it, it really is and it, it was kind of that thing of like i came up with the idea and i probably came up with the idea a day or two before speaking to her about it because mm-hmm. i hadn't really worked out the possibility logistics planning etc hadn't really thought too much about it it was just an idea in my head that it's like anything in life, if there, if you get an idea and it keeps rolling around in your head and it won't go away, then it's definitely something you've got to do. Mm. You know, like I always think I don't want that to be rolling around there again in 10, 12, 20 years. I, I want to get it done. So, yeah. So, yeah, I just had to, to go. So, just stepping before that, what, what had you done up until that point in terms of uh, hikes or kind of long distance or endurance uh, type feats? 
Um, so I previously backpacked across the Himalayas and the north of India. Wow. Um, I, I didn't just hike that. Uh, I went into the foothills to the Himalayas. I spent quite a bit of time in Ladakh. Um, I absolutely fell in love with the culture, the people, the landscapes. I really wanted to see a mountain, proper snow-capped mountain, because um, you just don't get to see them if you're from kind of middle of England. There's just not many mountains to not not that are easily accessible. And if you're from a background and you're in a circle of friends that aren't really outdoorsy, you know, you're doing this stuff alone. So I so I did that. I um, I backpacked the whole of the western coast and the archipelago of Thailand and the islands on the west coast all the way down to Malaysia. Um, that took me quite a while. And then I have also done a lot of long distance cycling events across Europe. And then again, I did a, I did three stages of the Tour de France ride back to back. So in one go, then I cycled from Paris, no, I cycled from my home in Cambridge to Paris in 36 hours. Um, I walked from my home in Cambridge to my mum and stepdad's pub in Gillingham, Kent. So it was about a hundred mile walk, uh, just in one go with no sleep. We just just went at it. Um, I've also done a few marathons, half lots of half marathons, things like that. And I I had an epiphany moment a few years after starting in the big wide world of work and growing up. And I turned around to look in the office and I thought, these are not the people I want to be. This isn't my life. Yeah. You know, everybody, I think everybody can relate to that. And it's probably quite cliche to say that now, but it's true. I stood up one day and I just looked around and thought, this isn't, this isn't it. So I decided I was going to row the Atlantic. And um, two years later, I rode the Atlantic with my best friend. So so I've done I've done a fair amount of endurance stuff. A few things, all right. Yeah, yeah. This is not your this is not your first rodeo. Um, no, that's right. <laughs> but sorry, just to just to uh, jump on the, on what you said there around like that that realization that you know uh, the office is just not for you. It's it's uh, it's that coupled with the fact that it's just over and over again, like it, it, that idea is rolling in your head, and you and you have to quench that in some way. Um, yeah and for you it's you need to go and, and actually dive full on into rowing the atlantic or hiking the himalayas or, or whatever it is or walking around the coast of england or the uk yeah and i think more often than not you know it's that itch you can't scratch and there's that one particular but you ask other people and they'll say oh i've always wanted to do everest or i've always wanted to do this or, i always wanted to do that for me, it's it's never something I've always wanted to do. The event itself isn't the thing. It's that, you know, you, you grow up being told to do well at school, to get a good job, to go to university, to do this, that, and the other, then get a career, get a car, get a house, get married, blah, blah, blah. All the conventional things that are really important and responsible, and I understand why we have to do all of those things. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it gives you no room mentally to breathe or physically to discover who you are as an individual. And I think everything I do is solely focused around figuring out what I'm capable of, because there's no lecturer in the world, right, or no teacher or no book about me. So I can learn any subjects you want to put in front of me and task me of learning, but I can't learn about myself unless I'm putting myself on the extreme limits of endurance and figuring out how I re react or cope in hostile environments and strange places, adverse weather conditions, et cetera, et cetera. Those scenarios that you face that come up in my particular journeys only come up in those specific events. They're never going to happen with you sat on a chair in an office in front of a computer. Yeah, uh, it's funny because I was actually having a, a conversation with my nephew. He's uh, he comes into the office every Friday to do a little bit of uh, of help with us. Um, oh, cool. And and he, I was just asking him, you know, what do you what do you want? Not what do you want to do with your life? I didn't want to like scare the crap out of him. But I, I was, what what are you interested in? What do you want to do? And he mentioned, you know, oh well, I, I want to see what I'm good at. I want to see what. Uh, you know how I get on in my whatever test that it is and mm -hmm. I, I stopped and I said well do you want to do that like is that actually what you want is that what you're 
kind of body or your heart is telling you that that's what you want to do rather than waiting on someone else to tell you whether you're good at something or not go and do it just go and do whatever it is that you want to do and and you'll figure it out there's you know it's not that easy like like there's logistics there's like tons of different things layers that you need to go and figure things out but at the simplest form in in the case of like getting outside and and putting yourselves in these situations and learning about yourself it's go do the thing that you want to do that's really is plain and simple i agree i think you've given him some spot on advice there and that that kind of highlights my point i suppose it kind of encapsulates it really well we're told from such a young age to do this that and the other and conform to a test or get an exam result you know that's not the pressure we need that's not really going to provide anything further down the line i I guess your nephew's quite young if he's coming in to the office and then working with you on fridays but you know i'm going to be 40 in a few years and i still don't know what i want to do but that's no bad thing no that's what i said to him as well he said like i'm i'm in my mid-30s i still don't know what i'm doing with my life you know i have like i have a job i have things that i do i have this company that i i I run and, and and a podcast that i have but I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm figuring out every single day that I'm going along. Uh, yeah, but isn't that the exciting bit? <laughs> that's the exciting bit. It's the exciting bit is that I'm doing it. I'm I'm doing it and I'm, I'm figuring out things about myself. Like I, you know, I didn't know I could do a podcast. I didn't know I could run a company. I didn't know I could do these things. And I'm figuring them out mm. as I go along. So yeah, I think that's that's a good message. And it's, it's something that's lost a lot in, in education. And that's pretty much exactly what you said. The education system is is quite broken in that in that regard where kids uh, uh, are, are just put into this uniform system that is just designed for, I've got to say the, the big C, <laughs> capitalism. It's just designed for capitalism. That's yeah. what it is. I, I, I totally agree with you. I think that it's really difficult, isn't it? Because you want your kids to be at the same sort of standard and know that they're going to be okay when they need to get a job if that's what's going to happen. But yeah, it is, it's kind of a broken system and it's not human centric. It doesn't think about the individual and the wants and needs or capabilities. It's, just, it's a numbers game and we could get political about the whole education system in the UK. But I mean, it's different both in Scotland and Wales and Ireland and England. But I mean, you'll be here forever talking about something that none yeah. of your listeners are going to want to hear. <laughs> uh, they've, heard, they've, heard, they've heard me giving out about this before, so I won't, I won't bore them with it. Um, right. But uh, do you mind me asking, so where, where are you right now, actually? So right now I'm in a place called, I can't remember the name of the place. I think it's Aidan Croft or Aidan or something it's a shepherd's hut and uh, it's been gifted to me for the night because i've been out outside living out of my backpack and in my tent and last night in a boffy for the last six weeks before since i was last in a room so i needed a good shower and i needed a decent meal um and just to get everything charged up all my kit at the moment is strewn about the place over radiators and hanging up and like i've been cleaning socks and cleaning t-shirts and and all sorts of stuff but um so every now and again i would try and get somewhere to stay um even if that's on a campsite with shower with a shower block for example because ordinarily i spend my life washing in waterfalls and locks and streams and stuff like that but you can only go so long like that before it gets maddening and um you know the comfort of one hot water shower every month or two is is a pretty exciting prospect so so this this lady at, at this uh, shepherd's hut has gifted me this place for the night and i'm, I'm so grateful it, it's actually in a place called Durness, which is just past cape rack okay yeah the, uh even even after a long day's hiking or a couple of days hiking a hot shower is is uh, is an amazing thing mm-hmm. so you're going to feel like a brand new yeah. your brand new man out on the, on the on the hike tomorrow so w- will he be will he set out again tomorrow I set out again tomorrow morning um, once all my gear is charged. And I'll probably pack my bag up tonight once everything's dry. Um, I might even treat myself to watch a bit of TV because the Children in Need of Pill will be on. Yes. Um, I don't know if I'll be featured, but um, we'll see. Uh, yeah, then I'll set off tomorrow and head towards, well, along the top coast towards Thurzo. Um, I won't get to Thurzo tomorrow, but I'll be camped up on the hills somewhere. And then ultimately... I reckon this section of North Coast, I estimated, would take me between 10 and 12 days. So I should end up at Duncansby Head 
sometime in a couple of weeks. Um, I won't have a shower or a place to stay there, but as then I turn the corner again and head towards Inverness, that'll probably take me another week. Um, I'm actually meeting my family in Inverness at Christmas and staying with them. So I kind of have that in my mind as my next sort of cleaning station and, uh, and time for rest. But um, so I get four days with them at Christmas in Inverness in, a, in like an apartment. And then they go back home and I'll carry on down the East Coast until I get back to Norfolk, basically. It's just a, 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 the home stretch then. Um, so one of the questions I normally ask is, is there any kind of particular trails because uh, obviously this is a it's a hiking podcast i know you've done some amazing other uh endurance efforts but in terms of 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 trails or hikes you're on one right now but is there anything else that would stick out i know you said that you're in the himalayas yeah i mean i would recommend that anybody go to india full stop for a start wherever you go in india you will find something to love about it it's hard as well because there's a lot to not love about it uh, but the Himalayas, especially anywhere you can go, if you can get to Nepal, brilliant. If you can't, don't worry, it's not the be all and end up. And what I would say about places like India is don't feel like you have to stick to the tourist traps and all the attraction pieces and go along with those excursion routes. Go and find your own stuff. It's pretty well safe enough to do that if you've got some experience about you. And, you know, you don't have to hire a porter or a sherpa or anything like that. You could do it any way you want, but it's there for the taking. And it's just such a vast expanse of land. And it's, it, it, it is really stunning. Mm. Kashmir in particular is just incredible. Um, in this, in the UK, I think um, there are so many trails, you know, and I haven't done half the ones I'd still like to do. I know I will, but um you can do that at any kind of point in your life, really, I think. But I would say do something like, you know, do something like Ben Nevis, for example. But again, don't go up the tourist track. Do the Khan Mordorette up the North Face. Mm. I would say that for two reasons. One, the tourist track is, is so slow because you're tripping over everyone because there's just so many people on it. But two, it's really boring. But if you go up the Khan Mordorette on the North Face, the views are out of this world and it kind of reminded me of being somewhere in the Himalayas it's so stunning you know? so I would say yeah pick a trail I, I, it's always hard isn't it because most hikers will say oh you've got to research you've got to be prepared you've got to have all the kit you need ready just for any eventuality blah 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 and then you can go safely and do it I would just say get out and do it like go you know get your basics with you make sure that you're you've got warm kit or anything if the weather turns but just go and enjoy it and get off the beaten track there is a there is a there is a point where you're just like okay that that's it's a bit much like uh, we're I, I guess it's kind of it taps into this this toxic gear culture i don't know if you like if you've heard it kind of labeled that before yeah, yeah, yeah. where people will say hang on a second you're you're wearing a pair of trainers you're not allowed to hike in a pair of trainers you're not you're not you're wearing uh i don't know a just a normal rain jacket and you're not wearing a patagonia uh smart wool thing um you're not allowed to do this you have to have the the yeah. most expensive equipment to go and do it so that there's, there's like, yeah I, I know i yeah it's such a weird um culture isn't it like an, an, a strange attitude for some people to adopt but you know the truth is whenever you find yourself in a situation and things change and start to go a bit gnarly or a bit weird, someone says, oh, you're not wearing the best insulated Pertex Patagonia shell or whatever, or you haven't got the right boots or you haven't got this, you haven't got that. You know, when, when things hit the fan and start going wrong, the best stuff you've got is the best stuff you've got. And that's it. It, it makes no difference. So I would say, you could do what I do every day with sponsors and you could have the best kit in the world with the best bag and the best this and the best that and the other. I take very little because I know what I'm capable of on how little. Uh, and it's about those comfort limits and setting your own and understanding what you're capable of and whether or not you're able to get yourself out of a situation if you find yourself in one. I mean, I don't have walking poles. 
I've I've not I've never owned a pair. I understand that they would probably be useful in various situations, but for me, they're just an added thing to carry. And if I'm not using them all the time, and the other thing is, you know, I'd probably look silly using them because I, I just don't know how to use them. So I stick to what I know. <laughs> it's it's really funny and it's, uh, it's funny but it's also kind of annoying sometimes when you see people that are using track and pulse and they're literally just like tapping them off the rocks and, um can you tell me a, a, about maybe a, a not so good of a time when you're hiking well, i can tell you about the last 48 as if you like <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you were you mentioned it before <laughs> we before we recorded but i was like i wanted to save the story for now okay yeah i mean last 48 hours have been pretty rough um, I would say the roughest on this trip so far in particular and you know when, when I set out and even before I left my biggest concern was Noidart because that whole peninsula is the most remote part of Britain there's no one there rescue is difficult I mean it's a tough ground I mean they even call it the place between heaven and hell um, that's not to over dramatize it that's because the lock on one side of the peninsula is called lock heaven and the one on the other side is called lock hell okay. um, or that's how they translate so various scottish scholars say anyway and but i absolutely loved Noidart. i thought it was a brilliant place um just stunning um i made a video about it as well actually but yeah so kate raff and, and you're going to have to probably qualify this. I'm not talking about the Cape Raft Trail here. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about from Durness, where I am now, to Kinloch Burby. So the opposite way around to the way most people would go. Uh, and the reason I did it backwards is because I was giving a talk at school in Kinloch Burby this morning. And so I wanted to go that way. And also from Kinloch Burby to the closest Bobby is a really short day. So it makes the next day very, very long to get all the way to Durness. I also wanted to walk up the River Kyle because there's no tracks and it's over moorland and heathland and stuff like that. And it's just, I wouldn't say it's uncharted, but there is nothing. I mean, there is so little there that every time you look up, there's a herd of deer. And that's, it's beautiful and stunning. So that first day I set off from uh the river kyle went over the bridge walked over the heathland and then round the peninsula heading towards a place called cavade which is um, a really lovely little bay it's on at military land so it's it's actually a bombing site they, they use it for live bombing and firing mm. thankfully there's no live firing through the rest of november so i'd already checked those times i think that's a good pointer to give people is always check on those things um the first day I had a really good day. I got to the Kavade Bobby at half past one, something like that. And it was great. Somebody had left enough wood for fire. There was coal, um, there was tea and coffee and someone had already filtered water and stuff like that. There was nobody else there. The wind was probably 60, 70 miles an hour most of the day. I kind of was getting wet on and off. So I got wet really early on and I dried out and that process repeated about four or five times up to when I got to the boffy. So I had time in the afternoon to do a bit of a beach clean, you know, leave a big pile of beach debris like rope and buoys and stuff outside the boffy to make it kind of, it, it's a good thing to go and give back and keep the beach clean as well. Mm. Quite handily though, I also found some um, old sailing braided rope. I don't know if you know what I mean. It's like as thick as your fist and it's okay. really chunky stuff. And I took a few strands of that. I cut it off with my knife and, and stuffed it in my bag. It was soaking wet, but I knew that it was soaked in kerosene. So if I could dry it out and tease it apart and make a bird's nest, that would be really good tinder if I, if I needed to make a fire later. So I stuffed a bit in my bag. Had a really good night's sleep in that bobby, knowing that the following morning I would follow the military track all the way up to the Cape Wrath Lighthouse. My contingency plan was that if the weather turned and got really bad, there's a bunkhouse at the lighthouse and a cafe, which are open all year round. I was gonna ask if I could stay there. But <clears throat> my primary objective was to get up to Cape Wrath Lighthouse and then walk back over Moorland and over the cliff tops, then do some scrambling because that was the kind of most direct route to go to Sandwood Bay, um, which is regularly voted the most beautiful beach in the world, apparently. 
um, not so beautiful in, in the wind and the wet, but <laughs> on approach to, um, and so after Samba Bay, there is a bobby at the end of the lock. You have to cross the river to get to the bobby. It's an old shepherd hut where a guy lived for 32 years. It's, it's completely unserviced. There's no electric, there's no gas, there's no water supply. It's not even got a postal track to deliver post. The guy lived there for 32 years and he used to walk 21 miles every week into Kinloch Burby to collect his pension and go to the shop. You know, like, this is the maid lived there like that for 32 years and he's got all these paintings and murals that he did inside the bop. It's just fantastic. But, so that's my primary objective is try and get all the way there. Um, however, on approach to the lighthouse, conditions changed to a point where I was worried that going off a track and knowing what the terrain would be like and knowing also that there was uh, geological phenomena in the air with the type of rock that would affect my GPS and my phone. Mm. I was worried that my natural navigation skills might not be up to it in the mist because it just it became complete whiteout. Um, so I knocked on the bunkhouse door, no one around, it was all locked up, the cafe was closed. Um, and there was a big padlock over the gate on the lighthouse. So I figured, well, that was that then. Uh, I had two options really. One was find shelter in one of the outbuildings that were pretty run down and derelict, but it wouldn't have been ideal because from sort of one o'clock to the following day, the weather may not have changed. And also I'd have just risked hypothermia. I would have risked staying wet because there was no way for me to get dry at that point and no shelter. So my decision became based on very real risks and I had to kind of think fast and act quickly. So I went back down the track and made a bearing on my GPS for the boffy itself, which was another 12 miles. And at this point it was, it was one o'clock in the afternoon. So to put that into perspective, that gives me about three hours and 15 minutes before um, daylight ends here at the moment. Mm -hmm. I was quite a distance to cover over peat bog, heathland and scrambling across mountains. So I had to move as quick as I could, but also efficiently and effectively without kind of breaking an ankle or slipping off something or whatever. I, can, However, I, can I just add, so at this point, was it com still complete whiteout? Yeah. Oh, okay. Complete whiteout. Uh, wind had gone from 60 miles an hour to about 80 miles an hour now. Um, again, this is a problem because if you're slightly unsteady on your feet, given that it's muddy and wet ground and boggy, you're going over. You've got a 25 kilo pack on my back. Mm. There's no, there's no suspending. You're like a, you're like a natural flail. Yeah. So, and at this point as well, it's worth saying that if you carry a poncho, they're brilliant, but in those conditions, forget it. Yeah. I can imagine it's just that. not worth it because it will blow you. It will take you like a sail. So I, uh, I put my gloves on for the first time to keep my hands from freezing because they were getting really, they were just being battered by the wind. My whole side of my face battered. So I put my hood up, I had um, a base layer on and I had a little zip through hoodie and my hard shell jacket. I don't wear waterproof. So I don't, that's another thing that hikers probably don't like about me. I gave up wearing waterproof trousers a long time ago. Um, <laughs> They're just pointless. Um, and I also don't wear gaiters. <laughs> There's a lot of things I don't do. I'm not a natural pro hiker, but um, I am a naturalist. I like to do things in a, in a way where, it, you know, if I could go barefoot, then that's, that's what I would do. Um, <laughs> it works. So, um, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you become confident, more confident in your movement and your body's natural ability. You know, I wear those Vibro barefoot boots, for example. Mm. And, um, they, they help my stride no end i think they're brilliant but anyway so i um i'd managed to keep my feet pretty dry for quite a while and then fell into a bog about an hour in and i was sort of waist deep and had to kind of grab onto some heather to pull myself out um which was fine i could have been stuck there but i managed to get myself out and you kind of when things like that happen you kind of dwell on it for a second and have to have a chat with myself and say look don't assess it now wait till you're somewhere comfortable, safe and warm, then think about it and overanalyze and, and talk about the scenario sort of thing. 
Um, I carried on and at this point I'm still maybe eight miles from this coffee and I've got I've got no natural frame of reference so I've got no way of navigating naturally now which is what I'm kind of used to because I can't see anything apart from maybe 10 12 meters in front of me um, it's so bad in fact that at one point I came almost face to face with a stag who hadn't even smelt me because the wind was so fast the fog was so thick and the rain was so heavy he didn't even just didn't realize I was there wow um, so that was a great experience obviously but it could have been pretty hairy too yeah <laughs> so um he bolted and I, I just couldn't see a thing still so I, I managed to slide down not, not quite sheer but a good quite sharp gradient rock face um scrambling down kind of like on my behind and sliding down and I got down quicker because I, I, what I wanted to do is rather than contour the mountains and take longer I wanted to go as direct as possible even if that meant going straight up and straight down um, it for me was the quickest way to do it um, so then I came to what looked on the map like a relatively small stream that I might be able to jump across and in fairness it was However, it was a stream that kind of cuts through the ground like, and it scars the ground, so it's almost like a gully. So I couldn't actually see it until I was stood on a peat ledge above it and the peat ledge collapsed with the weight of me. Um, so then I'm now in the stream itself, which thankfully was only knee deep. You know, I'm already wet up to my waist as it is. So, so I managed to scramble out of that. I've got mud all over my hands and face. And I'm, you know, constantly questioning why I'm doing this and thinking about what I'm what's going to happen if I don't find this place by dark I mean I'm in a pretty serious situation here and it is the exact sort of thing you hear about on mountain rescue articles and the news when people come and get heli lifted and whatever the truth is I didn't actually think not that it was a resort for me but I didn't actually think heli lifted would be an option at this point because the wind and the visibility was it was too rough it's too bad so i carried on um slid down another hill managed to fall over a few more times uh, and this isn't because i'm a clumsy <laughs> unstable walker it was just the nature of the ground and then i have i always have alarms on my watch um and daylight so daybreak and sunset is always an alarm i get them like 45 minutes beforehand just so that i can gauge where i am where i need to be um, and the alarm came on my watch and I genuinely thought I had a lot longer than 45 minutes. Turns out I didn't. And um, I made it to a lock which was on the map and I remembered from reference, from looking at the map several days in advance and trying to commit it to memory, that that lock was in X place and the boffy was in Y place from that lock. So purely by memory and trying to fix a bearing on the horizon using that lock mm. I was able to get to the boffy and the reason I had to do that instead of using my GPS after that point was because I've been going around pretty much in circles for an hour because the GPS had been affected by the, the geological phenomenon of the magnets and it just wasn't working I, I constantly trying to connect it to different satellites and it was just so um, affected that it wouldn't position me. So I then not only had no GPS to rely on, I had to use physical markers on the horizon. And I, you know, I'm going 10 or 20 paces, stopping, checking where I come from, checking where I'm going again and fixing another marker. That was the only way I could know that I was going in the right direction and in the same direction. So I eventually came to the river that runs adjacent to the Boffy. And I could see the boffy the other side. And at this point, I'm really relieved. I've got about 10 minutes of daylight left until it's fully dark. But the river is at the point of the boffy is probably about 40 foot across. Um, it's in full spate now because of the time of year. So, I mean, you're talking millions of litres per minute. Um, and there's, there's rocks and like boulder sized outcrops, which if you were jumping in, you were going to, you're going to get swept away and the, the best case scenario is you might cling onto a rock somewhere in the middle for a minute or two and then freeze to death <laughs> uh worst case scenario is you go under you get you hit your head on a rock 
and you're not coming up, you're unconscious. It's, it's that, it's, there are no easy options around this. You can't wade it, for example, it's at points probably 30 foot deep. Um, so I walk all the way as far as I can in 10 minutes up the river, trying to find a narrower point. And I actually made it quite quickly, about a mile, maybe a mile and a bit. It's quite a windy river, but I, I knew from experience that at a bend, the water slackens a bit, it slows. Um, doesn't mean it's any less deep, doesn't mean there aren't rocks in there, but if you can't see the ripples on the surface with the water going over the rocks, you might be in with a chance of maybe swimming across. Um, so I found a bend, a bend next to a bend, it was like two bends in the river, almost like a chicane, and the water in between was really slack. And I thought, okay, that might be my best option because even if I do get swept downstream, the bank on the other side juts towards me. So I might actually hit that. Um, worst case scenario, if I miss that, there is a rocky outcrop a little bit further down on the opposite side of the bank. It would just be a real scramble to get back out. Um, I couldn't take a run and jump at this point because it was still 20 foot, but that's half the distance it was further down. Um, and it's at those points where I really question am I making the right decision here? This is dangerous. Nobody knows where I am. My family are going to be worried about me. I'm not going to be able to let anyone know I'm safe. But what are my other options? I sit here and freeze to death. I, and at this point, I'd been assessing myself for the last couple of hours. You know, I'd already been grumbling to myself. I'd already stumbled a few times and I was starting to mumble internally. And that kind of was the onset of hypothermia. And I know that those symptoms were were happening and they were already there so i had to commit and i just had to make that decision so i went as close to the bank as i could i jumped as far into the river as i could knowing full well it would be hard to get out anyway because i had my backpack on and i i hit the water i was fully submerged for a minute or so and i just swam like mad i don't know if you ever tried to do front crawl with a backpack on but it's really weird <laughs> um and then i managed to actually hit that bank and grab on to some um, heather branches and roots uh, and I, I managed to in one I don't know if it was sheer adrenaline or what but I managed to pull myself and my bag that was now you know saturated fully out of the water in one really good heave and I lay on my back on the flat bank for what felt like forever thinking what have I just done but again, I had that thought in my head, assess it later, get up and move because you can't stay here. So then I'm kind of like walking at pace now back to this body to try and get there. And I could see it in the distance. I now got my head torch out and I get to the door. There's no one in there. And the whole time I've been walking towards this body, I'd been scenario planning and prioritizing my actions for when I got there. Um, but yeah, that's quite a long answer to what should have been a pretty straightforward question. <laughs> well, no, it, it it's 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 very interesting, and it's it's it this it just baffles my mind that this happened to you yesterday or over the last two days, and you're kind of calmly recounting the details of this pretty like you know risky situation or life threatening situation. Um, so yeah, so I had to. I think, I think you like I think you've, just say, I suppose, you just say like so far you've earned every single penny of those donations. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I kind of that's, that's a good point. I don't. I kind of don't look at it that way. But I mean, it comes down to that. Like I said earlier, it's about um, not dwelling on the scenario. For too long at the time and just getting up moving and, and knowing to assess it at the right time so when i got to the boffy i couldn't sit down and take a breather i couldn't just stop i knew that, that i was beginning to freeze my core temperature had probably gone down by two degrees mm. um I, I was shaking you know and that wasn't adrenaline that was that was cold i knew that my gloves were stopping wet um although they're pretty damn good gloves actually um they're new so i'm kind of impressed by them but <laughs> uh so i i had to prioritize and i had to think about what to do now so my immediate thing was whatever water i had left was going to be boiled straight away i was going to get coffee on um 
I was going to look around for materials to do fire. I knew I needed to do that before it got dark. So I went around the side of the boffy, which handily had an old peat shed and there was some dry peat in there and some old heather, which I could use as kindling. Plus, I could make my bird nest out of that tinder that I found on the beach, that sailing rope. Mm. So I did all of that. Um, and then I spent the next hour processing wood. There was a saw, so I managed to cut up a load of wood as well. I made a load of kindling. I got the fire going. I stripped all my clothes off, uh, put dry, fresh clothes on, um, went down to the river, filled up a big kind of couple of gallon bottle of water that was in the boffy so that I had water throughout the night. Um, I got food going pretty quickly uh i, I sort of <laughs> have walked 20 odd i think it was 26 miles total in the end um having done that i started running on the spot just to get that core temperature up whilst drinking a coffee um <laughs> i knew i had some sugary sweets in my bag i got some sugar in me to take the kind of shock away and help the adrenaline um and then once i knew that everything was warming up in the room and that I'd hung all my wet gear up and that my food was doing and, and that I'd had a hot drink. I then took on extra fluid as well because that's one thing people never really think about is taking on extra fluid. You might be cold, but having cold water, I know it might not be appealing, but you've got to take that fluid on. Uh, and it's only then that I sat down and really assessed and started thinking about everything that happened that day and what went wrong and what I could have done better and why it ended up that way and what were the likely outcomes had I not made decisions. And in the end, um, you have to say to yourself, look, you can't be too hard on yourself about this. You did everything right, because if you didn't, you wouldn't be here now and you wouldn't be warm, you wouldn't be dry and you wouldn't be safe. Uh, so no matter what happened, you did it right. It's fine yeah. because you're alive exactly um, and, and you kind of have to put it to bed that way you know yeah otherwise you constantly question yourself for days yeah no absolutely i just got to echo that like it's what you were saying earlier on even about the the gear that you have the gear that you had and the skills you possess at that particular time the decisions that you made were the things that got you to where you were at the moment where you were you were recounting it and it got you to where you are right now where you're telling the story again so it, it they, yeah where like you're safe you're healthy you're 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 alive um so it was the best decision that you could have made um you know i, I don't like I, I was listening to everything you were saying and i was I, I was kind of processing some of it and kind of thinking would i have done something different there and i like i don't think i would have i like i i probably wouldn't have I would I have never been exposed to anything like that so I don't know what I would even do in a situation like that so mm. um this it goes back to what you were saying before as well that like you know you, you've really kind of put yourself in this situation to learn about yourself and this is a huge learning experience about you not just practicing practicing, practicing your navigation skills or practicing this it's it's this your ability to make uh, life altering decisions in an instant yeah it's it's the will to survive you know you, you, determination should be valued above pretty much everything like i was saying about the kit you've got and that kind of weird attitude about it not being the best kit kit doesn't mean a thing without this you know <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely well like uh, thank you for sharing that story it's it was uh i i'm i'm, I'm almost as impressed about your your calm uh, approach to, to, to recounting it as 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 much as he, he, uh, the the story and the details itself, but it sounds like a wild forty eight hours, and I'm glad that you're here to tell us the story and and uh, having a nice beer for yourself. Yeah, I, I would just say if anybody's considering doing that walk around to Cape Wrath or or any of that section, then you know, like I I really think that is one thing worth looking into properly and knowing knowing your navigation set like yeah. understanding your stuff Absolutely. it is it's, it's a rough place and it's so isolating mm, yeah absolutely um wow <laughs> um so the the the, the walk so far so it, 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 that's been the, i suppose the 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 
the negative highlight I, I can't think of a better phrase to put it under but has there been a a, a a positive highlight so far apart from the, the money and raising the money so far has there been a particular time where you got to you know see family or friends or people come in to support you or yeah i mean man, all of that stuff is good you know um it's amazing when i do get to see my family and my kids like i, I, I had a zoom call with their school this morning and um, that was great. Um, so I got to see them via Zoom this morning. Um, <clears throat> oh, yeah, I, I miss my family so much most of the time and, and my friends. Some of my friends have come out to see me. It's been great. My brother-in-law came out to walk with me in Wales for a few weeks before he married my sister, which was pretty awesome. Um, my kind of adoptive brother my best friend is coming out to meet me in a couple of days and walk with me for a couple of weeks which is awesome i think in terms of highlights really it's so easy to ascribe that to the things that we miss but actually and everybody asks me what's the best place i've been what's the best thing i've seen and where's my favorite favorite bit well it's always the people man. like the kindness I've been shown, like being given this place is insane. You know, like you pay good money for this, but just because I'm out here on my own and doing something for a, a, a cause that resonates with someone, they've given me a room in this wonderful shepherd's hut for the night. I've been able to get clean. I'm going to get fed and I've got a proper bed, you know, like that's, it's insane. But I mean, I've been shown so much kindness up and down the country and it's really the people that make the places it's um it just it baffles me every time it's absolutely amazing how people can be kind first rather than judgmental and that's that's really life affirming yeah you've answered one of the questions that i was going to ask about what have you learned well maybe you, you might have a different answer but it was what have you learned about uh, the, the uk uh through hiking that you you wouldn't have known before um you might have a different answer to that, but I, I do want to kind of, uh, kind of jump on what you said there. It, it, it is, it is a, such a common thing w within the hiking community, and you don't really get it with anything else. You know, cyclists. Uh, yeah, p you go go through towns, you get to experience a little, little kind of glimpses of culture. Uh, running, mm. same thing. If you're doing long distances, you get to experience that kind of thing there's, there's amazing communities that are around around these sports and these feats. There, there are. And I know I know people call it like trail magic. That's kind of capsule term for that kindness on the trails or yeah. being considerate of walkers or hikers or whatever, especially from someone in the community. But you know, most of the people I've met aren't hikers, they're not walkers, they're just ordinary people, you know, like there's a taxi driver, for example, that gave me a lift back from where I ended today, knowing I'd already made it to the school. And he gave me a lift up the road to the school to save me walking the extra 12 miles or whatever. Didn't have to do that, but he just saw me come out onto the, off the track and into the car park, picked me up and took me out there. You know, that, that was, yeah, just stuff like that is immense. I, I remember waking up in my tent one night, um, oh no, one morning, and outside there was a little package with some chicken fajitas wrapped up and some freshly baked cookies that a mum and daughter had left for me because they'd yeah. been following me on Facebook, but they didn't want to wake me up. And I was like, oh man, yes, yeah, like <laughs> stuff like that. It's just wins your heart. There was a guy in Bournemouth that had been following me and he, he met me on the beach and um, took me for a cup of tea and a bit of cake. And he had a cabin and some sandwiches and fruit and all sorts for me, you know, like, these are people I've never met. They just, and that's the power of social media, I guess. Like I've really kind of utilized that on this particular challenge. On all my others, it wasn't really. Well, it was a thing, but I had no clue about it or how to work it or how it. You know, mm. I just didn't know how to use it. And like, uh, I mean, I still don't really, but I'm I'm doing better with it now than I ever have. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, th I think you just kind of, it's, it's the same with, with, with hiking in general, is that you just go and do it and you get to put yourself out there and, and people will kind of latch onto it and go, hang on a second, this, yeah. this guy is doing something big. This is, this is something special. And for one person, it might be, you're, what, you're walking 50 miles. That's incredible. Have a cup of tea, have a, cup, uh, a slice of cake. 
And then the next pers- uh, person, we're like, well, hang on a second. You're walking the entire coast of England. Uh, I'm going to to do whatever you want. I'll, I'll, I'll drive you the length of the country if, if I need to. I, it reminds me of a story of um, uh, a guy called Derek Cullen, who's over here, uh, who I hopefully have on the, the podcast really soon. But he uh, did a walk around Ireland. He did similar to what you were doing, but uh, what you're doing at the moment, but he did it around Ireland. And uh, he, he posted in the morning just saying how much he would love a Kit Kat. And within an hour, someone drove up alongside him on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere in Ireland and just said, there you go, and just gave him a Kit Kat. No way. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he was delighted um i remember even i was texting him at the time because we 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 went out and followed him uh, for a bit and hiked with him for a little bit and he was over the moon he said it was one of the best things that happened on the entire thing within an hour he had a Kit Kat in his hand in the middle of nowhere in ireland so that the that's the Amazing. power, that's the power know, that's of the media but it's also the power of of kind of putting yourself out there in a positive way you're not just you're not doing it for glam glitz fame you're just kind of going I'm doing something for a cause. It's a, it's a, it's a major feat, and people will that will resonate with so many people. Mm, you know what? That's just really. I think that's just confirmed it for me. I, I think Ireland is next. Then um, maybe that's an exclusive that you've got here. You heard it here <laughs> first. Chris, the coast walker in Ireland. I've got quite a few friends in Ireland, and I, it's something I've considered actually. But um, I'd do anything for a Kit Kat. So yeah, man. <laughs> oh man, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you, your friends over here will be lining up on the road so you'll have a Kit Kat stops the entire uh, length and breadth of the country. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, we'll, be glad, we'll be glad to have you. Um, but Chris, it's been amazing having you on and, and I'm delighted that you got to share your story and uh, especially over the last 48 hours, uh, I'm glad to see that you're alive and well and you're warm and you're clothed and you're 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 getting ready to, to carry on and that you're on the... the kind of the home stretch almost of, of your trip. Uh, but I wanted to ask you just kind of one more question, if you, if you don't, don't mind. Um, sure. As this is a hiking show and you're in the middle of a, a, a particularly difficult and long hike, um, what, what does hiking mean to you? Oh, it's really difficult, you know, because um, like I said, I'm not, every, I'm not the hiker's hiker. I'm not... Um, I don't know the difference between hiking, trekking, walking, trail, whatever. I don't, I'm, I'm not really a hiker. When I first set out on this walk and people said, uh, I used to get interviewed by radio or TV or whatever, and they'd say, um, so have you always been a walker? How long have you been walking before you decided to do this? Um, and I don't, don't even really like walking. You know, It's not even about that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's entirely different. To, to what your perspective of it is but um i don't know i uh, what i love more than anything is being in the outdoors and being connected to nature and how that makes me feel mentally and, and physically um it it teaches you a lot and um teaches you things that no one else can and, and no, no other environment can you know um i just i think it's important that people get outside um I'm pretty uh I'm a pretty big advocate for the outdoors helping people's mental health for example and um, it being a really good thing I think hiking can be whatever you want it to be whether that's a two-mile walk around a local peninsula or your park or um, through the woods or down the river or whatever to up to a hundred miler or an ultra marathon runner or whatever you know it's I don't even think that hiking needs to be that you carry all your gear with you and obsess over this lightweight, less than 12 kilo kind of backpack and survive on that shivering away with bland food or whatever. I don't think it needs to be that. I can think it, it just needs to be what you want it to be. You know, if you're going to take 50 kilo pack, but it's got the best food in the world in it, and it's got the best jacket and the best sleeping bag, because you're going to enjoy it and it's going to be comfortable, go for it. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I 100% echo that. Uh, it's that old adage, it's hike your own hike. And it just means whatever you want that trail and that experience to be, go go and do it that way. Um, I have yeah. kind of started to slip into, you know, uh, some ultralight things myself. But that's kind of for me, you know, I want to do that. I want to have a, a lighter pack. I want to be able to uh, do longer distances and, uh, you know, 
but sometimes I prefer to have a bag full of cheese and crackers you know like that's not going to be light I want it to be that way and yeah. um, people want to do like a, a short distance race. people don't want to camp people want to to walk say like the the South Downs way in particular like I, I did that over uh, a few days with my daughter there a few weeks years back that's a beautiful walk it's an absolutely stunning walk if anyone ever has a chance to do it it is absolutely incredible um and it, 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 it just, just places to stay the entire time the, the, the walk is kind of structured yeah. a lot of the, the walks in the UK are, are, are like this but it's structured around towns and and, uh, and, and mm. hostels and places that you can stay so you can walk for 10 miles 15 miles 20 miles whatever your distance is in the day and you'll have somewhere to sleep every single night you don't have to have a bag with you you can have a day bag with you but you don't have to have yeah you know a full-on backpack which is what i brought with me anyway but i <laughs> those were my early days of, of figuring these things out um and yeah as you said it could be it, it's a it's a walk along a river you know that's 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 your yeah. that and some people want to walk from one end of the country to the other or around the entire country <laughs> Yeah, I you know, like I think my father in law and my mother in law, they did the I think they did the coast to coast mm -hmm. um a couple of years back, but they had a Sherpa service which you know ferried their bags onto the next section for them onto their accommodation. So they stayed some you know, that's that's fine. That's that's a perfectly acceptable thing to do, depending on what you're comfortable with and how you want that to go. But I don't think there should be anything wrong there, and I definitely don't think anybody should um, get any negative comments or vibes because of that i think like you said everybody hikes their own hike yeah yeah it's it, 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 you always see it in um I, I i jump on facebook groups all the time i probably shouldn't but i do and uh it, you see the some, some of the comments that come in and say oh i i did it at this and at this time it's like great fair play to you okay that that you you enjoy that uh that glory um uh, there's there's always going to be a, a competitiveness no matter what it is even hiking which is something that is supposed to be like a personal uh, kind of effort it's like well i did it faster and i, I know <laughs> I, that's an interesting point as well because there's like that whole people say to me oh what next are you going to do everest or k2 or you're going to do this you're going to you're going to row the pacific or whatever um i actually had it in mind that when i finished the walk I wanted to get back into my running and I kind of have to retrain myself to run. But I had it in mind for a while that I would do 15 marathons in 15 days in 15 national parks. Okay. And I really, I liked the idea so much so that I even started planning it in my tent whilst I've been walking, you know, like, and then I've just seen a news article saying that Sean Conway, who's actually a, another guy similar to me, he's, um, he's doing 15 marathons in 15 days in 15 national parks so i was like oh no so now i need to figure something else out it's not that i need to be the first person to do these things i'm not interested in record setting or first or anything like that i'm interested yeah. in journey itself and what i get from it personally yeah yeah uh, there's a friend of mine actually over here is an ultra runner um and he's planning on doing 32 marathons in 32 days in 32 counties as uh, so 32 counties in Ireland with 32 pounds of weight on his back. Um, but oh, he, he, I mean, that's just sadistic. In, uh, he, he's nuts, he's bonkers, he's absolutely nuts. Um, but he'll take a pound of weight every out every marathon, so he starts off with the first one and then it progressively gets lighter. But you know, he's still doing 32 run or marathons, yeah. yeah. You, should, uh, you should tell him to read the book survival of the fittest by mike stroud he's the physician that accompanies um ranald fines on most of his expeditions and he's the person that did the seven marathons on seven continents in seven days with ranald fines and that's quite an interesting read wow okay jesus even like the 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 the, the transport like getting on a plane directly after um yeah running a marathon that that could that can't be good for your legs or your blood pressure um or your heart apparently yeah. i mean they, they started that trip not that long after Ranulph finds had a massive colony so <laughs> well <laughs> okay <Jesus. Yeah. laughs> um Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I, I, we could probably talk. All, all, I'm sure we'll have a chat after I, I stop recording here, but um, we could chat for hours on this. And 
I, I, I probably will get in touch with you again uh, uh, closer to the end of your trip or once your trip is finished uh, just to see how the rest of it went but um, I'm sure everyone will echo this but congratulations on what you've done so far the money you've raised the causes you're doing it for uh, the way you've gone about it as well uh, it's it's amazing um, I, I know this is, a, this is a podcast and it's audio only but uh, Chris has developed quite the uh, the hiker beards um, so <laughs> hopefully at some point he will have that forest gun moment where he's walking into the town he's got a whole horde of people that are walking in behind him um, and, and congratulate him when he finishes so uh, where are you finishing and approximately when do you... my, my finish point is exactly where I started which is Heacham South Beach in Norfolk um, so just it's, it's literally 10 miles up the road from Hunstanton, which I think is the biggest tourist spot. But I wanted to I wanted to do it in somewhere out of tourist area. I wanted to do it in Heacham because my family are familiar with the area. We've been going there for a few years and it's um it's a really nice, lovely beach, actually. Awesome. Um well I'm sure you can follow uh, your progress all on social media. Uh, we'll we'll put all your your channels and everything into the show notes so people can follow that there. Um and and hopefully you get a nice a nice warm welcome when you when you get in and a nice warm cup of tea and a nice warm share nice okay Chris uh, it's a pleasure um, best of luck thank you Aaron. well that scared the crap out of me please do not try this at home or outside I can't get over how calm the dude was. It sounded like he was in serious trouble there. I spoke to Chris today and he said he's already looking for his next coastal challenge. We might hear from Chris when he finishes up in a few weeks. That's it for this week. We have lots more interviews coming up for you. If you have anything you would like us to discuss or people you think we should have on the show, let us know by emailing podcast at hiker.co or reach out to us on social media. And as always, like, share, and review the podcast wherever you can. Until next week, happy trails.